Welcome to this AMR audio interview, sponsored by the Transactions of the ASME, Applied Mechanics Reviews, and the Applied Mechanics Division within ASME. I'm your host, Harry Dankovich, and also the editor of Applied Mechanics Reviews. Applied Mechanics Reviews is an international review journal that serves as a premier venue for dissemination of material across all sub-disciplines of applied mechanics and engineering science, including fluid and solid mechanics, heat transfer, dynamics and vibration, and applications. This series of AMR audio interviews features personal reflections of my guests on matters pertaining to all aspects of applied mechanics research, including past, current, and predicted research trends, a professional career in science and academia, scientific dissemination and peer review, public engagement and impact, and curricular innovation and developments. We hope that you find the AMR interviews a valuable complement to the perhaps less personal and more technically focused material available through the AMR journal, as well as other technical journals in the area of applied mechanics. I'm excited to present to you today's guest, Professor Marcus Bueller of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Professor Bueller was born in 1977 in Schoendorf in southern Germany near the city of Stuttgart. After undergraduate studies in chemical engineering at the University of Stuttgart, he went on to earn a Master of Science in 2001 in engineering mechanics from Michigan Tech in Houghton, Michigan. Professor Bueller continued his education at the Max Planck Institute for Metals Research in Stuttgart between 2001 and 2004, completing a PhD under Hua Gao in chemistry with a dissertation on the deformation of thin films and brittle materials. After postdoctoral positions at Caltech and MIT, he joined the MIT faculty in 2006, founding the Laboratory for Atomistic and Molecular Mechanics. He's a co-director of the MIT Computation for Design and Optimization Program, director of the MIT Germany Program, and also heads the Mechanics and Materials Group in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. Professor Bueller has published more than 200 peer-reviewed articles on computational materials science, nanotechnology, and nanoscience, and has authored two textbooks. A major contribution of this work is the use of computational materials science to the field of protein materials failure, relying on molecular dynamics and multiscale modeling techniques to ask fundamental questions about the mechanical properties of biomaterials and how they fail to function. In a 2012 cover article in Nature, for example, he combined molecular-based multiscale modeling and experimental studies to assess the mechanisms by which spiderwebs break under extreme mechanical force. Professor Bueller is a recipient of several early career awards from federal funding agencies, including a presidential early career award for scientists and engineers. He's a 2012 recipient of the Society of Engineering Science Young Investigator Medal and has received similar recognition from the Materials Research Society, the ASME, the American Ceramic Society, and ASCE, including the Sia Nemats Nasser Medal from ASME and the Leonardo da Vinci Award of the Engineering Mechanics Institute at ASCE. The interview you're about to hear was recorded in Atlanta, Georgia, on October 12, 2012. Professor Bueller, welcome to this AMR audio interview. I'm really happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I wanted to uh, turn in a different direction almost immediately to uh, your textbooks. So you, um, I mentioned that you had authored two textbooks, and I would be interested in you describing some of the, their content and the audience and, and how you used them. Sure. Uh, the first textbook really is uh, was, came out in 2008. Um, dealing with fundamentally describing how to use atomistic modeling, molecular modeling, and describing fracture and deformation, plasticity. So it really reviews uh, methods in describing metals, ceramics, and you know, other types of materials, traditional engineering materials, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, 
What level yeah. did you aim this at? Um, it's really it's graduate students, yeah. uh, and I, I use it in graduate courses. Uh -huh. It's used by others for graduate courses uh -huh. in, in molecular modeling, and really has the the thing I was trying to do with that book is combine um, the the methods of molecular simulation um, with the application to material science problems and, and mechanics problems mm -hmm. like fracture, deformation, mm -hmm. diffusion, dislocation mechanics, mm -hmm. and most textbooks in the field really deal only with one or the other. So you've got textbooks that deal with molecular simulation, yeah. but they don't have a lot of examples in material science uh -huh. and mechanics. And so I was trying to combine them in including a lot of case studies and, and reviews of, of recent liter literature. So it's a really good starting point for graduate students to get into this field. Does the book include um, computational recipes, explicit models, or, or is there... An, uh, there has some, yeah. There's some, some of that. Yeah, okay. it has some. It really doesn't deal so much with the numerics of the problems, because okay. uh, these are really in other books. Um, um, but we do make reference to codes and, and yeah, so on that you yeah. can use. But but really, it's it's more about the the model building. I mean, the I whole the whole book really is what I actually what I do for my work as well is how do you build an effective model mm -hmm. to describe, say, brittle fracture, mm -hmm. or um, how do you understand size effects in thin films and the, those, those sorts of questions. And you know, a lot of thought goes into these um, um, into building the model mm -hmm. and analyzing the model. And comparing with experiment, and this is what the book is about, and how to use molecular simulation to do this, which mm -hmm. I, I think I felt um, there was a gap in, yeah. in, the, in the literature, right. uh, in books specifically, as a textbook. Right, so you, so you graduated in 2004, and four years later you have a, a book published. Was, was this, so it's obviously some overlap with your PhD dissertation right. topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what made you decide to do this so early in your career? Well, really, I think uh, the book actually came out of uh, lecture notes that I had, mm -hmm. um, and I, I was starting. Um, well, there, there are two things. One was a gap, mm -hmm. and I've done I've done um, a lot of work in in these areas, and um, and really, including my PhD research, yeah. uh, which you know, when I was a student, I realized um, there's something missing. Right, there's something missing. You got to yeah. read all these papers yeah. and so on. And, and also, I, you know, then you read books on MD simulations, and they're just very abstract, and they deal with uh, the physics and the chemistry simulation which is really where this came from originally. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, and still is, it's been a pretty uh, you know, active field of research and using mm -hmm. MD, and you can look around here at this conference. Sure. Uh, you see a lot of people doing this. So there's this gap. But also I had, I was uh, teaching um, a, two courses actually at MIT, one in 05 when I was uh, at an appointment as a postdoc mm -hmm. uh, and lecturer at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And then later on in 2006, I started teaching a graduate course. Um, yeah. And then uh, a year later, actually, an undergraduate course. And so I had a lot of lecture notes and I prepared essentially um, systematically how to teach this to engineers, right. engineering students, right. undergrad and graduate in, students. In the civil or, or in across, chemistry, some material science? Uh, uh, across the, yeah. in the institute actually. Yeah. Um, the, the courses yeah, that I teach, you know, specifically modeling simulation actually are taken by um, multiple disciplines. Yeah. Um, yeah, mechanical, civil of course, yeah. mechanical, material science, um, aerostro uh -huh. and so on, yeah. Um, and, and so it came together essentially as a, as a good way for me to organize the notes and also being able to, to have something for the students to read yeah. um, and, and not having to give them, you know, 30, 40 different papers, sure. which have different ways of describing things. And I, a lot of, I spent a lot of work. And, and also, um, one thing I thought none of the books and papers really brought together was the way of how do you, again, how do you build the model mm -hmm. and how do you actually mm -hmm. compare with experiment? Mm -hmm. How do you make a useful model? Because... Mm -hmm. In the simulation community back then, and even even today, you get a lot of people who do simulation, and uh, you know they they simulate things and they never go back and ask how what did it actually solve, mm -hmm. uh, what did it help mm -hmm. the the understanding, and um, and so 
this has changed a little bit now, but I think back then it was in the early days and I felt that I've seen a lot of great examples of how this has been done well yeah. and I wanted to um, collect those, uh, collect those yeah. and, and present the, the strategy behind that. Yeah. Did anyone advise you against writing a text? I don't think so. It's all encouraging? Um, I didn't really ask too many people, frankly, good. about yeah, this. Yeah, um, good. Yeah. You know, well, the, I think maybe the advice, well, you know, people come to me and say, how do mm -hmm. you find time to do this? Yeah. Um, right, but I, I actually, you know, I, I believe in synergies. So, I, I mm. again, I actually prepared notes anyway yeah. from my classes yeah. and I essentially took this, those materials. No, and I, I had a bunch of materials from review articles and papers and so yeah. that we could use for this. Um, but no, I don't think anyone really, you know, discouraged me from this, mm -hmm. but also I didn't ask too many people because I knew, I mean, you know, once you start off a faculty career, you know, writing a book might not be the best way of starting this because you might think this is a sink of time. Mm -hmm. Um, but actually it turned out to be very positive. And I, I remember when I, um, um, went through my first promotion, um, which at MIT is, uh, associated without tenure. Yeah. Um, the um, everyone I think liked the idea that I had authored a textbook. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah, I, th I think if you're successful at it, and, and if you can manage it, and still be very successful with the other things, then it's considered a, a, a very much of a feather in your hat. Right, yeah. uh, I suppose if it if it ends up being a time sink and you're not right. successful at the other things, then right. it might be something one people people sometimes advise against. Correct. But you went on to write a second right, textbook yeah. on on what topic? Uh, really more on the recent work we've done on biomaterials. So we titled it Biomateriomics, which um, I'm sorry, like, biomaterials mix. Bi biomateriomics mix. Okay. Uh, no, but yeah, biomaterialomics. Uh, essentially, the idea is, uh, you know, we, um, it is a reflection and extension, essentially, of the first book, in mm -hmm. a sense, but really, because in the first book, I've really discussed mainly engineering materials, mm -hmm. crystals, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, metals, and mm -hmm. to some extent, ceramics, ceramics and uh -huh. so on. Um, in, the, in this book now, we talk a lot about biopolymers, biomaterials, mm -hmm. and the, this book really... Um, there I had uh, actually a lot of people telling me to write it um, because I, I, got, um, I got a lot of requests for writing a book on this, on this yeah. topic yeah. and I went with the same publisher okay. um, again and, and they, they were extremely you know, encouraging and supportive of this, yeah. this process. It took a long time um, to do this and I, I, had a, um, I have a co-author who was my graduate student at the time, mm -hmm. uh, Steve, Steve, Stephen Cranford. Okay. Um, who is a was a great is a great writer. Yeah. Um, and he was um, in the in the early days. I, I talked to him about this. He was a student at the time that you were. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he's wow. now a professor at Northeastern University oh, okay, in, yeah. in Boston, yeah. Mass. And he uh, um, he came in. It was a natural thing. We actually talked about it. I told him that I'm thinking about the book, and then I you know anyway somehow we came across this, and we said you know why don't we write it together? And yeah. he he did a great job, and, yeah. and we we went in and we basically reviewed uh, a lot of the biomaterials literature, yeah. the modeling people had done, and and again put a little, looked a little bit at methods, but really focused on the on the problem solving mm -hmm. and how to integrate things. Mm -hmm. And that book also contains now uh, contains a lot of new research that we have, mm -hmm. we have done, Your and own, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and our own research, and also things that are. You know, quite advanced. Like um, we talk a lot about category theory, mathematics of this, and um, about experimentation mm -hmm. and, and so on. And it's it's actually contains things that were not published at the time. Mm -hmm. So we we put in a lot of thought into these uh, certain chapters in the book, which I think are, are novel. And I think and the the idea of the book really was that if you if you go in, it's a synthesis of all different ideas. And in the papers, um, 
you know, we, we do focus on one contribution, sure. usually technical contributions. Yeah. So this integrates material. The integration mm -hmm. is very hard mm -hmm. to put in a, in a paper. And of course, the paper had to be very, would have to be very long. Yeah. And that's not, so the, the book and review articles also not the right form for this. So the book really has that kind of provided with this form. And that mm -hmm. was very important for me to do, mm -hmm. um, to, to put this together. When did that one come out? Uh, it came out just this year. Just this year. Um, okay. And it, you know, we started, I think, in '10, and yeah. it took about, yeah, it took almost uh, almost two years. Oh, yeah, to write. I mean, the production yeah. actually went very quickly because uh -huh. we had. Now, nowadays, anyway, the camera ready or was it, it was no, it was um, LaTeX, and they, yeah, you know, essentially they they turned it on very quickly because yeah. we had uh, a, we had a two um, short courses in the summer this year, mm -hmm. and the, the publisher really wanted to be ready for. That. I see. And, and have you have you gotten the the, the book authoring uh, needs uh, off of your shoulders now, or do you see more coming out? Uh? Well, it's a, it's a lot more work always yeah, than yeah. you anticipate. So yeah. I think, um, well, not immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think these. I yeah, like I said, I, I use both of these actually in my my teaching. The first one clearly you know, was classic, I think, for me to use. But the second one now I'm using is also in my classes, and mm -hmm. it's it's a nice way. Yeah. To do this, um, and I've. And my students, the students who go away, uh, they actually tend to use the books as yeah, well for their yeah, own classes. So this is how, and I had visiting professors in my group who Excellent. took the class and so they took mm -hmm. it out. Um, but yeah, no, I think I'm not in the immediate future, right. I would say. Um, but I think what you mentioned uh, early on when you started with the first book was you identified a gap. Right. And I think you're, you know, it's interesting probably that at the different stages of career, one is more able to to see those gaps and, and, and go after them and try right. to fill them and, and, and also maybe find... Um, that other people's work uh, is lacking in some respect, you know, and, and, and try to, to put your own perspective on things. Yeah, one thing I'd like to do, you know, in reflection on this, um, and this is, again, I'm not sure if we're going to do this anytime soon, but is write a textbook really for undergraduates mm -hmm. um, because I teach a large undergraduate, well, large uh, relative, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a school-wide undergraduate yeah. elective um, um, at MIT on modeling simulation, and uh -huh. so we teach this. Um, you know, for undergraduates, which means it's very different from the graduate course. Yeah, it's a, sure. you know, smaller in scope. And, and um, we, I do use my textbook. I give it as an option. I don't I want see. them to actually yeah. buy or read it because it's, it's way too detailed for yeah. undergraduates. But I would wish uh, maybe um, doing something that is really geared towards undergraduates. And the, the idea is that there's a gap here, I think. Um, a lot of undergraduate uh, institute uh, level courses um, um, really don't talk about modeling simulation mm -hmm. at that scale. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in a way, in a way using MD simulation, multi-scale modeling to solve pro engineering problems, mm -hmm. it's really tough to teach, though, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the undergraduates have a background of graduate students. But we've uh, we've spent, you know, many years in of tailoring this course, actually, uh, and, and it's successful. Um, and a textbook for that would be great in yeah. spreading the word for yeah. other universities yeah. to be able to do this. Yeah. And I think, and this would be different. It would include a lot more hands-on examples. It would be less research-based. It would yeah. be more fundamentals. Yeah, the pedagogy is, is different. Exactly, right. and, and right. more demanding. And much more demanding. Yeah. And there's and the other element I think for us now is um, MIT is expanding into online sure. education. Mm -hmm. uh, and you've you've heard of edX and MITx exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's um, sort of a dimension that now. Um, you know, people talk about doing um, doing these online courses, which really is almost like writing a book. And if mm -hmm. we and so there's another alternative now, an alternative to this writing of a book mm -hmm. would be doing an online course, mm -hmm. which would be could have actually maybe even bigger impact yeah. if we were to develop a yeah. successful online course in modeling simulation, which is would be accessible for anyone in the world, mm -hmm. and, and and you would be able to get certificates for taking this. Yeah, so my interest, in a way, the online open so, courseware. Yeah, and so I'm waiting sort of to see what's happening there and what we can do. 
And uh, doing this now would be would require more resources, of course, mm -hmm. because I need to, we need equipment and, and a few more hours of the day. Right? And exactly, <laughs> and it, need, it needs a, you know yeah teaching relief essentially. Yeah, need, and see. we need a bunch of people to come together and really sure. think about the way how do you teach a class a course like this online, mm -hmm. and it needs to have. Um, Tools so we actually developed for this course, um, tools that are published on NanoHub, which mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. widely known now. Mm -hmm. We initially had our own platform, um, but then NanoHub became successful, mm -hmm. so we ported all our tools into NanoHub. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can actually run all these simulations and tools on there. So yeah. a book, a new book for undergraduates, or even that online course would yeah. incorporate these very heavily. But yeah. it needs to be in a more automated way because yeah. if you do PSATs, tests and things, you want to be able to check the results and being able to grade this essentially. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a few things we need to think about, about that. But that's where I think education, I mean, I'm very passionate about education, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and especially bringing in undergraduates mm -hmm. um, into modeling simulation because undergraduates, when they hear modeling simulation, they think of MATLAB, they think of, um, you know, integration schemes, mm -hmm. um, right? Um, but modeling simulation is more. It's really building a model mm -hmm. and Absolutely. solving a problem. And yeah. actually, in engineering, there are just numerous problems now where you need this, and it's lacking in the undergrad education because mm -hmm. usually students don't get exposed to this. Yeah, and I guess that's very closely connected to the idea of design too. Uh, right. Uh, and, and you spoke in your, your presentation this morning very much about both modeling and then taking those models, understanding the fundamental principles, connecting at different scales, and then right. using it for purposes of design. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right, that's right. Um, and I noticed that, um, yeah, a lot of the undergraduates go out after four years and they had never actually been exposed to modeling mm -hmm. simulation mm -hmm. for design mm -hmm. right at that mm -hmm. point. Um, and, um, and they come back then and they, when they go to graduate school, they experience this, but usually not for undergraduates. But in the jobs, they do, they usually need to know these things. And so a lot of them get exposed to this through internships when yeah. they actually run finance simulation to design something, mitigate stress concentrations. In a, yeah. You know, I've, I've done this actually in one of my internships. I've mitigated stress concentration in a wiper blade at uh -huh. uh, in a, you know, a company. In, 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 um, and, and that was something different than what I ended up doing later, but it's an example of how it's used in practice. Yeah, yeah. This was right. an internship in Germany? It was, yeah. It was um, uh, at Bosch. Okay. And, the, um, and actually related to what, I've, what I did for my master's thesis. I worked on um, topology optimization, shape optimization. And at that time, at Michigan Tech in active structures, we looked at piezoelectric materials and how you um, create um, actuators and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and structures and that respond to some, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but really, yeah, changing the, the topology of how you place right. active and non-active materials. Right. And then at Bosch later, I, I worked on shape optimization, mm -hmm. which is related and actually in completely coincidental. This was a, an internship that it wasn't a requirement of your no. degree. It was something that you did between the master's. That's and right. The, I did that. Yeah, yeah, between my master's and then starting with a PhD yeah. after that. Yeah. And, and deciding, and did you know already you were going to pursue a further academic career, or, or you were actually considering the possibility of oh, no, an industrial career? No, I definitely wanted to move on to get a PhD, yeah. earn a PhD. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, yeah, it was an interesting setting. And I, um, no, but I, I ended up, you know, I actually, at the time I was looking into different groups and schools and things mm -hmm. when, I doing, when I was doing this internship. Mm, I see. Do you come from an academic family? No. Well, it was yes and no. <laughs> well, not not from a um, um, academic family sense of um, uh, being, being teachers at universities. Yeah. Um, no, actually, uh, but my um, but educated. Uh, well, my dad, yeah. my dad. So my family, um, my mom's family, 
um, is originally from Berlin area, mm -hmm. and um, my grandfather was a teacher, and mm -hmm. I think an elementary school or mm -hmm. middle school teacher, you mm -hmm. would say here. Um, and my um, my uncle was a teacher, mm -hmm. um, and my dad's family, you know, really, I yeah, came from that area in Schorndorf, mm -hmm. and um, they were farmers basically. I see. And so, um, you know, so my my grandparents there. Had a, had a, we still have a farmhouse there. Yes. They had uh, animals and crops and things. Yeah. And my dad went to went to college, so mm -hmm. he got a and education in school. But what made you feel this urge then to to? I mean, you, you mentioned you're very passionate about teaching. Yeah. And obviously, this this uh, uh, very keen attention to, to pursuing an academic career, your your research focus. Uh, this, these things are born early on, I think. So, right. So what happened? Well, I think my um, my interest really I've. I've start. I've been interested in technology uh, very early on, mm -hmm. and so I, I started um, maybe around ten or eleven. Mm -hmm. You know, um, well, actually, before that, I I was we we used to play school. So that was something I did when I was even younger. Mm -hmm. So I was I would go to school, um, and then I would I would you know after afternoons I would assemble my the kids in the neighborhood and, and do we it would, again. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so we would do. We had a blackboard, and uh -huh. we had a. And I was teaching how to read, and, and, and you were the teacher. Pretend. I was a teacher. Yeah, were you so the was, oldest of the. Or? I was. Yeah, I would oh, be I the oldest, and I, I would see. assemble my I had two younger brothers and yeah. their friends, and so I would assemble them. It was more like a you know playing, but, sure. but essentially, Acting maybe out, looking right. back, right? Looking back, maybe yeah, I always had an interest in, in, in yeah. teaching, maybe. Um, but also later on, I was I was just always fascinated. I was actually really fascinated by electronics. I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time. Um, I took apart um, you know telephones, computers. It was the time when. They, and you uh, still could take them apart, yeah. right? You you can see all, you, that's right. <laughs> they actually were right. Exactly. It was the um, you know the eighty, I think eighty, 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 eighty six, eighty eight architectures, the uh -huh. early PCs. Uh -huh. And I actually did this because my dad, um, he at his at his work, um, he's an engineer, uh, and he brought those home. He worked with computers in his in his in his work, and yeah. he. He had a computer at home, PC, which at that time was a rarity. You know, and people wouldn't have PCs yeah. at home that much. And he brought home old computers from his work, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I would take them apart mm -hmm. and uh, try to put them together and new things. And sometimes they were. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I actually I built circuits. So I would build. Yeah. I would take out these, uh, you know, resistors and, yeah. and everything, and would put them together in circuits. Oh, I see, I see. And, and then I would make. You scavenged, so to speak. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then I actually made. Um, and I, I was always uh, as a sort of perfectionist in a way. I. I didn't want to just build them on a uh, on a template on a one of these uh, scratch boards, but actually, boards, yeah, yeah breadboards exactly. But actually, I etched my own uh, plates, uh -huh. uh, you know, so I would go and design them in the computer yeah. and uh, buy these um, uh, coated copper um, plates, yeah. and then you make a mask, and yes. then I would etch the copper wow. away, and, and you know, I would build them like that. And, um, Where did and, you uh, get this knowledge from? This is just well, my reading. dad. Oh, my he knew dad, how to do this. And, and, no, well, my dad supported this, so you know, I would um, he would buy the things. I, obviously, that I wouldn't actually be able to buy these things in my town where I grew up because yeah. there was no store like this. But he would bring them home. And I think he, um, he encouraged me. But I was. But were there I was, kits? I mean, was, was there any? I mean, oh no, this knowledge of doing this etching. And yeah, it's an interesting design. question. I don't yeah. know. I, I just I taught myself. Yeah, really, I, I taught myself, and I don't even. I mean, I would probably go. To the library, and there were yeah, books on this, sure. and then I mean, I would, and then I would tell my dad, "I need this uh, mm -hmm. etching, you know, acid." And uh -huh. my mom would be would be very worried about this actually <laughs> yes. because I used to I had this uh, laboratory, and the, you know, boil the the etching solution. Uh -huh. You need to heat it up, and yeah. my and my mom was so she sent me outside, and and she wouldn't want me to do this in the house. So yeah. actually, looking back, it was quite uh, maybe it's 
dangerous health-wise to do that that kind of thing. But yeah. anyway, so you know that. I, so I did teach myself, yeah. uh, and I. I what, what what did these electronics do? They didn't do really well. The one thing they did is they first at the beginning I did simple circuits like uh, blinking lights, and mm -hmm. then I. Later on, I built a circuit to uh, control uh, a train. So we had um, train train tracks, model model, model trains, train. uh -huh. and um, and it was something actually that um, my dad had from uh, long from when he was a kid. And I, you know, I, I find it boring just to build them yeah. and let them run. So yeah. I and I was interested in um, building a computer control. So what yeah. I did, I I actually I you know I built um, circuits to control uh, the trains. Uh -huh. And I, I built logical circuits. Patterns. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I connected them. I built these logical paths of you know, circuits. Yeah. Connect them to my uh, to a uh, a PC, I and see. I could control then I through see. this process the the trains. And that's one thing I did. And mm -hmm. also, I, I did some things like building a um, a control for a solar panel heating. Hmm. It's a simple feedback mm -hmm. you know control mm -hmm. system mm -hmm. basically. That's the sort of thing I did. And mm -hmm. I, Anything you know, radio and transmission. Yeah, well, not uh, not too much. No, yeah. I mean, I did, I did, you know, I, I did take apart radios mm -hmm. and I would try to understand how they work. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, I didn't really build. You know, I built radios to listen to music. Yeah. You can do this with a yeah. you know, with a lemon and the so kids, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you know, there are the kids out there, and then you can change it and yeah. you can make your own. And yeah. we did that too, but not not. I didn't really. Um... You're listening to an Applied Mechanics Reviews audio interview from October 12, 2012 with Professor Marcus Bueller of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Harry Dankovich. And, and I, I also read in your um, biography before our conversation this morning that you have a keen interest in, in music and then of course during your presentation today uh, you, you actually spent, uh, and I would say this is you know a, a, an interesting thing to, to choose to do, to connect your um, molecular dynamic simulation, your, your materials design work, uh, you know this category theory mathematics you described and how to organize your understanding of, of building blocks and then tie that into comp you know, musical composition and, and interdisciplinary collaboration with someone right. in the social sciences or humanities in this case. Right, right. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, I think, I, I know that there's a, a, a history to this in terms of your own interest in music. Right. Yeah, I've, I've always been, yeah, I'm very interested in music and I've, I've, I've uh, also taught myself to play instruments like guitar and keyboard and, and okay. drums and yeah. I, I don't think I'm particularly good at this. Right? Do you still play? Uh, no, I don't actually. Okay. I don't have time anymore. Yeah. And for sure not enough, not enough, not anymore. Yeah. You know, I play, I, I was actually, I play um, the guitar with my kids. I have, we have two kids. Yeah. And, um. That's that's now that maybe I'll I'll go back to this a little bit more, but 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 anyway I don't really have time to do this. But sure. I but I did this actually for quite a while very seriously, and I also started doing a lot of composing. Mm -hmm. So I would actually you know like this recording here, so I would uh, record um, mm -hmm. you know my own guitar and, and keyboard and mm -hmm. drums and mm -hmm. everything, and then I would you know um, so multi track you know, multi track right, right mm -hmm. in a computer, and I have uh, samplers and synthesizers and I had a whole I had a whole room actually full of equipment yeah, yeah. and I, this is not I would, in the attic this would be in the yeah, basement it was actually in the basement yeah <laughs> okay. it was in the basement of my parents house yeah, and you put the dang dangerous chemicals in the attic <laughs> and right. the, the loud the music in the basement out, yeah. <laughs> that's right so I did that and, and that, was, that was interesting yeah so I did a lot of that that stuff um, and you know but then I uh, then I went off to college and I, I stopped doing that mm -hmm. essentially but I've always been very interested in that and I I now made the connection in a, in a way that 
these, um, the way, especially you think about composing, which is really what I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. I would play, but I would really be interested in synthesizing things, mm -hmm. you know, either using natural instruments, but also used a lot of um, synthesizing mm -hmm. of uh, using analog and digital synthesizers. Mm -hmm. And this is a very, um, you know, in fact, interesting thing because I basically did modeling. I created, you know, sounds and music um, and on computers and patterns. And, and, yeah. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, do this and, um, you know, and then now I see that this this was an early, I think, manifestation of how I, I really liked, I always liked computers. Mm -hmm. And I've always done a lot of programming mm -hmm. um, even before that. So when I, when we had the computers and after I took them apart, I would also at the same time do a lot of programming. Mm -hmm. I did, you know, programs for simulating stock markets and, huh. and, um, but it, but it's, but it, I did think, you know, I've always been interested in simulating things and the music essentially composing and actually playing it and establishing mm -hmm. this in the, in this uh, was actually a way of, of you know of using computers and simulating mm -hmm. uh, that and designing and designing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. right designing it mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um but anyway i stopped doing this i usually just simply had no time I mean, mm -hmm. this is something that takes a lot of time sure and um and so now but i i did come back to this now in my research because it reminded me you know in the big picture and take a step back what i did then and what we do with materials when we put them together with building blocks mm -hmm. at the building block scale mm -hmm. It's really just like that, mm -hmm. and the analogy is, is very apparent. And so now we're trying to see if you know we can seriously prove this and exploit this connection in, in our work. The, the composer that you're collaborating with, uh, how did that come about? Did you approach him? Or? Yeah, well, it's, it's in the team. So um, we, um, we wrote a paper on this general idea a, couple, well, a year or two ago, and we then there was a call for an NSF proposal. The F3. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we actually took it, I think, a little too far from what they wanted. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get funded. But in the preparation for this, um, we the idea I had was always, uh, you know, from my uh, early work to, to being able to make music from this, the, the sequence and the proteins mm -hmm. and to map that back, mm -hmm. the, these hierarchical relationships mm -hmm. into, into music. Um, but then I, we need, I said, you know, if we want to be successful with this grant application, we need this to be actually done in preliminary work. And so mm -hmm. we went and very seriously actually worked on this for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, and actually now, now until now, almost a year, this took a while until we actually got the paper ready. But we, we did some preliminary work for the proposal and basically, you know, a team of David Kaplan and Tufts and Joyce Wong of BU, we, you know, we, we sat in the room and they said, who could do this? Who could we mm -hmm. approach? Mm -hmm. And David, I think, knew... Uh, John McDonald, mm -hmm. the he's a composer, is a music professor. It was fascinating to talk to him because at, 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 at Tufts University, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to talk to him because um, you know he's he's someone who understands, who studies music theory, and who composes, and it's just this very different world from what we usually do. But we sat down for a long time and we had a lot of meetings, and brought in the mathematician David Spivak, mm -hmm. who works on this category, category theory, theory. Uh -huh. and um, so eventually we worked out. We and he made he created the music. He performed the music, he recorded the music, and he even uh, actually performed the music in a couple of occasions now since mm. then. Um, and now, and then it took about a year until we, we got the paper ready through more iterations, but the grand... Were you involved uh, in any of the composing there? Or you no. Just, no, okay. So no, I was not involved in this. Yeah. And actually, it was, it was the idea, well... Did it fit um, what, you, your, what you anticipated it, it, it was, ought to sound like? I had or? really... Uh, maybe, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I really didn't have much... Uh, I didn't really understand understand really how that should sound like or anything mm. and but and i really didn't i think it was important for us not to be involved mm -hmm. in composing we were involved in the translation of the abstract idea so abstracting the idea from yeah. silk into yeah. something he could understand and yeah. then you know produce his own ideas from this 
Um, Has he translated it back to you? Uh, no, we, that's what we're doing right now. So mm -hmm. we're trying to, um, you know, go beyond this now. And uh, so we didn't get funded. I mean, this is in the... You mean for the Engineering uh, Frontiers? That's right, the mm -hmm. FE. We didn't mm -hmm. get funded for this. Uh, we applied again this year, but we removed some of those, um, some of those aspects because the feedback we got is that this this went a little bit too far into maybe arts and and, and, mm -hmm. and that but we're still going to do work mm -hmm. um, so like i said there we, was a, a call um i don't think it was for grants but uh, there was a call for some artistic exp ex ex expression of research uh -huh. results i think in the spring of last year oh, really you see this yeah. I, okay well, I maybe i didn't know i didn't yeah. see that because yeah. this seems like it would have been a nice fit no i didn't, I didn't see this yeah, well, I, to, yeah you, I, I think in one of your slides you also mentioned the possibility of sort of looking at the way humans um, respond to listening to this music right, by, exactly. by actually you know possibly scanning you right. know, uh, I brain I fMRI, fMRI scanning yeah. and so forth is that yeah. something that is that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, we actually you're some, currently doing it? We, we got some people lined up. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we're going to do this, I don't know, but we, we got some folks lined up to I do see. this, um, actually at BU. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea that we actually, you know, I think this is an interesting, it's a really an experiment and it's a high risk. It's the kind of thing that I'm, I'm really excited about, but mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and this sure. is actually the kind of thing I think we should all be doing. You know, we shouldn't be doing just the things the we... comfortable, Exactly, we should things. be going outside that, right? Yeah, yeah. So exactly, we're going to play the music and we're going to, first of all, we're going to charge the composer in improving the design mm -hmm. of the sequence based on what he understands now of mm -hmm. what makes what part of the music because it's very hard to measure if you mm -hmm. if you go to a material scientist and you say you know this material is better you know you say yes because it has strength and you can measure this defined in music it's not necessarily sounds better but it's how it sounds mm -hmm. and this is what expresses a certain ability to form a very good fiber mm -hmm. that's what we learned from from in the study and so now we can go back to the composer and say there's certain features like an aggressive piece in the music, you know, matched with a very, um, uh, very um, a drawn out, uh, you know, very uh, mute piece in the music. Maybe that combination is what makes this material better. Mm -hmm. And so the composer can then go in and emphasize on mm -hmm. these aspects and make them more pronounced mm -hmm. or repeat them in certain ways. And the the hope that we have is that what people know about music, music theory, mm -hmm. and a, this is by itself a huge field, mm -hmm. and they understand how to construct music, how it was constructed in the past, what are the patterns um, that we, we think there's an untapped potential yeah. where you can actually use music theory and insight of all the composers and all the music that's being created in making materials better. If you know the translation, so the key is the translation, which we know how to do. And so we're hoping that this might work. And the other thing is you mentioned fMRI, so we actually want to see, uh, and this has been done interestingly, they did this um, with uh, existing music. Mm -hmm. uh, they did brain scans and they mm -hmm. compared different types of popular and non-popular music. Um, and they, did, they tried to associate certain patterns of music, successes of music, uh, popularity with um, the activity in the brain. Um, but of course, we have the additional thing in there that we actually represent a material. So the interesting question there will be, you know, are certain types of sequences and materials, uh, are they going to lead to certain structures in the brain? And, and that, that's one step further, which I didn't mention today, and that's that I think the, and this is in a very abstract sense, if you go in and you describe um, silk in a, in a category, and you describe music in a category, they're strikingly similar. And, hmm. and actually, you, you can... So the mathematical description... Right, is, they're uh -huh. strikingly similar, exactly. And, and so what we think actually there might be, you can actually see a music essentially and actually in other art forms it really is an expression of, of the physical reality who we are because we are essentially proteins mm -hmm. right and our brain is a is a, is a structure of proteins uh -huh. and other molecules 
And the way these uh, proteins function and they make the materials is through these hierarchical relationships. Yeah. And I, we think, this is a, a conjecture at this point, that basically uh, the expression of music is actually a way of studying uh, materials directly because the music is something that composers, et cetera, come up with to build models of themselves. So mo music really is um, a model. And I think um, art in general is actually the earliest way of modeling and designing mm -hmm. because people would go out and make drawings in caves <clears throat> and they did this to teach, you know, maybe the new generation to teach their kids how to hunt. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, you know, then it goes on and then later on you do, you, people wrote books and they create literature, you create stories and these stories are models mm -hmm. and you, you teach, right. Mm -hmm. And you, mm -hmm. you understand, you want to teach the new generation or maybe you like to teach others in how to make things different or how to deal with situations. And this is essentially what engineers do. You know, engineers build a model and uh, he or she says, well, I'm, I'm going to use this model to demonstrate if you make this material too thin here, your structure yeah. is going to fail. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're trying to teach the way uh, the people who built the material and the structures, the airplane. And so in a way, modeling is something. And I'm, as you can see, um, you can hear, um, I'm really interested in model building. Mm -hmm. And that unifies a lot of different things. So I think in another sense, uh, music and art is really a model building mm -hmm. exercise that's been done much, much before. Yeah, so in a way, now we're getting very advanced in building models of materials. It's a time when we can go step back and actually look at these very early models that humans have developed. And in a way, you know, this went on for many, many years in, into very complex directions, like you would create very complex stories, very complex music pieces. Mm -hmm. And the question is there, is there something in there um, that's not just about listening and finding it beautiful, interesting, yeah. but actually learning about ourselves yeah. and who we are as humans. I mean, I, so I, I've, I can see the connection between musical composition, musical organization, and behavioral things and, and cognitive things. Um, I can't guess I'm, I'm personally a little unsure about the connection to material structure. Um, not, not, I mean, I understand yeah. where you're going, and I, I and it's it's clearly a, both a high risk and possibly very high reward, right? If it if it actually right. comes through. Um, well, it's a it's in a way if you um, you know we can only create um, and do um, reflecting who we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we cannot uh, you know somewhere in in, our, in ourselves if we say things, if we create things, it has to be within us. Mm -hmm. uh, physically, and this is the hypothesis. So we are all made from materials, and it comes and down to a material, it, right? Mm -hmm. And especially now, it's an interesting line because now you're saying, well, you know, we are made of cells, and the cells really define who we are. And that's exactly the point. That actually, uh, maybe understanding, analyzing your music will teach us about how our cells and our tissues work. Mm -hmm. And this is a, um, you know, it's something that um, you know really that does not have to do much with engineering at this point, but it's an interesting proposition I think yeah. um, and, and something I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to answer this yeah. um, but you know we, we did put it out there yeah, yeah. Uh, in your in your talk you described uh, spider webs and, and the silk that's used to, to, to build those uh, structures um, and it, it you know I'm not working in this area but I certainly uh, have uh, you know come across uh, discussions of uh, you know very strong materials that could be used for uh, various applications, for example, the space elevator idea that came out a number of years ago with right. a te you know tethered elevator at geosynchronous orbit and other kinds of you know uh, situations where you need a very super strong chained link material of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, from my my uh, naive point of view, since it's not my area of expertise, uh, what are the limits of strength 
when, you, when it comes to constructing or designing a material? Do, can, we, can we quantify that? Or yeah, is there... sure, it's possible. But, you know, it really comes down to the chemical bond, right? And if you, and this is a great point, uh, and actually something that's not really discussed, at least in the general engineering public, I would say, not often, because, and also in the, in the silk community, you know, if you look at silk and you say it's a very strong material, it's true. But actually, if you look at nano carbon nanotubes or graphene, essentially carbon bonds, mm -hmm. um, they're actually much stronger. Yeah. Right. And so you mentioned the space elevator. If you take a nanotube and you compute the strength, I think it's something on tens of gigapascal, 50 to 100 gigapascal mm -hmm. in that range, which is way beyond the strength of silk. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that silk uh, has a strength of a giga, gigapascal or two mm -hmm. um, that range. And it is really essentially the strength of the single molecular bond. Mm -hmm. You know, effectively, this is what it is. Which are hydrogen bonds. Which are hydrogen bonds, mm -hmm. right. And, you know, but you can see this, you can see and measure this, this strength at the scale that's, you know, many orders of magnitude larger, you know, nine orders of magnitude larger, mm -hmm. at the scale of a silk fiber mm -hmm. or a web. Mm -hmm. okay. um, for nanotubes, we haven't done this yet. So they're still very, very short fragments. They're very, very small, and yeah. you can measure this extreme strength at small scale. Yeah. And you, but you can't make a cable like the space right. cable yet. You know that has the strength of fifty to hundred gigapascal at the scale of. Is it um, understood why? Well, it's be, we think the the gap there is um, the scaling. Uh, you know, you can't scale up these properties effectively in engineering, mm -hmm. and that's where silk. You know, it's very effective, and we I can see. learn. So it, it retains right. its strength exactly. over over much larger length scales. Right, than its that is really that's right. That's really why silk is interesting. You uh -huh. know, we we don't want to build. I mean, we do use silk for real biomaterials. This uh -huh. is what we you know we have NIH funding that deals with making biomaterials for tissue engineering applications, mm -hmm. and silk is great because it's, it's naturally compatible. Mm -hmm. But if you go to cars and you know and airplanes and buildings, you don't want to, build yeah, you don't want to make a yeah. silk. That's a question I always get. Yeah. But you know, and also the strengths are not that impressive. I mean, you can use steel; you get the same strength, yeah. and you use high strength steel. Yeah. Um, but it's really of how they utilize the material, the building block. And again, coming to your point, if you go back, if you go back to this, you know, level of um, looking at a carbon nanotube, which is maybe one of the strongest materials out mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I don't know, there might be other chemical bonds that mm -hmm. might be stronger, perhaps, mm -hmm. but it's really one of the ones, the candidates, materials we can actually make. Um, the question would be, how do we scale it up? And mm -hmm. I think that learning about the scale-up from silk is something that's actually in reach to be done. So, so, so uh, what is it in, this, in the silk um, structure that allows this to scale up? I mean, I, you, you described... For example, artificial silk that you're creating now, right. where you're you're mixing different com different con uh, constituents, proteins, yeah. proteins uh, in different ratios across right. along the, the the chain, and that has different properties. And some, right. in some cases, right. it actually doesn't even form a fiber. Exactly. In other cases, it does form a fiber. Right. Um, so, th do you understand at this point what what that uh, scaling uh, function is in, in silk? Well, we have yeah, we do have we have theoretical ideas, we have conceptual ideas, we have some data, experimental data mm -hmm. that supports ideas we have. Mm -hmm. um, and but we haven't. I mean, the big challenge now, and this is what we're doing right now, and main effort of our work right now is to actually make them in the lab and mm -hmm. make them at a quality that's that matches the natural silk, which is not to, to make yet. artificial ones. To make artificial ones that and, you believe are to be better or. Well, or at, at least, least the, same, the, the, the same, right. same level, and yeah. it's still not exactly possible, huh. right? I mean, so you know, uh, the spider makes this um, in this transition from liquid to solid and to make the strength, and there's no technology out there today yeah. that can actually that can actually resemble this mm -hmm. in that way. I mean, you can take natural silk fibers and put them in technology. That's yeah, possible. Yeah. Um, but you can't make it completely in the lab. So we actually developing our aim is to develop a process by which we can take 
um, you know, a, a, a genetic level description, express the proteins in bacteria, you know, take bacteria away, keep the proteins, and put them in some kind of processing plant, like a microfluidic device, mm -hmm. and assemble them, mm -hmm. and make a fiber that we can then put into, you know, on a film, or we can spin it on in different kind of mm -hmm. architectures, and it's still not possible. Um, but we, we think we have a path to get there. And this is what I think the next five years we just started with this NIH funding. We're, we're hoping to get there. Um, but it's, it's going to take a couple of years of work for sure. And it really requires advanced modeling and experimentation mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I think in the past uh, there have been attempts to do this. Um, you know, and they, these were experimental studies only. And it failed because you can't build things without having a model. And this is the you know, engineering lesson. Of course, yeah. you would never build an airplane or being able to build a high, high performance airplane without having you know, fluid dynamics and structural mechanics mm -hmm. and understanding how materials behave in different temperatures. Um, so we need, we need models. And this is exactly where the kind of models we talked about earlier in the books come in. Mm -hmm. We need these types of models to describe the physics, the mechanics, the structures, these different length scales. Are, are, a few more questions on this. Are silk, the silk from silkworms the same material? They're different. The silk from, they're different. Yeah. In what, in what? Um, the, um, the silk, they differ in the sequence. Um, and silkworm so The proteins are different? Or the, 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 the proteins mm -hmm. are different, yeah. Sequence are different, proteins mm -hmm. are different. Mm -hmm. And silkworm silks have more better sheet content. Okay. They're less stretchy. Um, silk, spider silk is um, stretchier, has more of the, the B domains, which we call B domains, amorphous domains. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's more subtle differences actually than that. Um, mm -hmm. That's sort of very qualitative. But there are differences also in the processing, how these materials... So it's really... One thing we've learned is it's really not enough to look at the material, but it's really important to look at how it's made. Mm -hmm. because The actual processing. Yeah, processing is very important. So in our modeling now, we, we spend a lot of time now in understanding processing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we, we simulate the flow in the microfluidic device mm -hmm. and there's shear flow, elongational flow, mm -hmm. like was, was one of the questions in this morning's presentation was yeah. about this. These are all critical things. Uh, there are things like pH, uh, there's solvents in the, material, in the, in the solution. Um, and it's very complex and what you get in the end you know, depends on this. So we need to incorporate that in our model mm -hmm. and how we, how we get there. But they're different, yeah, they're different in how they're made uh, and they're different in the composition mm -hmm. uh, and they're different in the properties they have. Mm -hmm. But they're both fascinating. Um, but the spider silk, I think, is a more fascinating system because it's stretchier and it shows this very significant stiffening effect at the end. The, the silkworm uses the, its silk for cocoon? Mainly for cocoons, yeah. yeah. And actually, and we believe that uh, the cocoon structure um, is one where you need a spreading of damage because, right? So we, you know, which is different in, from the spider, which is different from localization. The mm -hmm. spider web actually, you know, uses the stiffening to achieve localization of damage. Um, the cocoon silk, we think, creates um, a softening behavior to create basically large plastic zones mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the structure, which mm -hmm. is protection of, a, of an egg, you know, in the cocoon or the spider itself when it um, when it protects itself. The worm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the worm. Um, you know, it needs this kind of um, absolute protection. And mm -hmm. if something gets through, it's the end, you know, the, the, the worm will die. Mm -hmm. um, or, uh, right. So, but the spider web is a different situation mm -hmm. where, um, and, and that really relates to the way these silks behave mechanically, stiffening or softening. Mm -hmm. are, are those yeah. the only two species that, uh, or I mean species, I, I guess I say they're not species, they're families of, of yeah, animals, yeah. insects. But are there other... Um, that make silk? That make... 
things like that. Fibers that are used in this one. There are a few other ones, actually. It's interesting. Yeah, there are even marine animals that make... Um, one of the other interests we have is our intermediate filament proteins, which mm -hmm. are um, found in, um, in, in some marine animals, and they make fibers underwater, basically. Mm. Um, and that's another really fascinating thing. The process would thing. be different there as well. It, it's very different, yeah. right? It's very different, and, and the function is also different. But actually, they use this as a way of protecting themselves, so they create these huge fibers and structures, and they... Um, useless to protect themselves in case of danger. I see. So, the, um, so I, I've, I've heard of a, there's a, a fish that releases a foam-like structure into the water. Is that one of these? Or that's no, a different, I think it's uh, a different. Yeah. Uh, it's a different. Uh, it's a different rheology of, of a complex fluid, I suppose. Then. Yeah, it's a different. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's a different. Uh, yeah, but these, it's, these but protective are, mechanisms you're talking about are are permanent structures that they hide. They dissolve. Behind. Over oh, they time. Do. I see. Yeah. In this case, I think they they dissolve or the fish uh, you know, sort of swims away from this. Um, but there are numerous, there are other animals, because yes, well, other, so there are many other animals that mm -hmm. make fibers. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, and then there are also amyloid fibrils and fibers, which are made by, you know, made by, by cells as a biofilm. So there's a whole bunch of them that make things like that in general. But, but you know, silk from spiders and silkworms are mm. the most prominent ones, mm. I would say. Yeah. And, and of course, silk, you know, has been used for thousands of years in making textiles. Yeah. So that's, that's another, right. um, you know, interesting thing. So people, humans have figured out, you know, how to use how to this effectively. It, yeah. yeah, harvest it, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know you have to run. So it's been a, a delightful conversation. I really appreciate your time this morning, Professor Bueller. And thank I look you. forward to further, further opportunities. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Harry Dankovich, editor of Applied Mechanics Reviews. Thank you for listening to this Applied Mechanics Reviews audio interview with Professor Marcus Bueller from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Please remember to come back for more reflections on all aspects of applied mechanics research and professional engagement.